0: City family, good morning, good morning. My name is Jamon Bailey. Uh, I'm one of the elders at uh, Grace City Church, and I have an assignment today to do a scripture reading and share uh, a little bit about my time uh, and just being an elder in Grace City. Pe- people may ask the question, and thank you, go ahead and have your seats. People may ask the question, what exactly does an elder do, right, other than stand on the side and look spiritual or something like that? right? It, it, it really depends. You know, I, in my experience growing up in church from a young boy uh, to going to college, uh, it was always something different. I am a confident, reformed, non-denominational pentecostal. right? And, and, and <laughs> some of you may be the same, you know, from the experiences that you've had in church uh, and your understanding of the scripture, uh, it's varied, Right. But we are all in one community growing together because that's how God designs it. That's how God wants it. Each of the apostles were all different. Right. I remember when uh, I first came to Great City and uh, I just left the pastorate in New Jersey. I was associate pastor there and I was coming here. Uh, we got moved because of my job and I didn't want to leave. Because I felt like I was gonna have to start all over again. Any any of you understand what that means? You go to a church, you gotta start all over, you gotta make new friends, Um, you you wanna use your gifts, and you gotta figure out a way to do it all over again. Uh, And I was reluctant to leave because of that reason. But my mentor shared with me, he told me, he said, God will redeem the time as you obey him. So I went in obedience. When I got down here and I talked with Bob and Corey, we had lunch together, it's an interesting story. I'll share it with you if you pull me to the side after service. But we sat down and we had lunch with me and my wife and after that conversation, I shared about my background, where we came from. They immediately asked me to serve in leadership. But I told them no. I said, let me wait. Give me about a year to understand the mission of this church the vision and where we're going. And let me start to just serve. Let me go through the process and start all over. And if at that, after that year, the people in the church see me as a leader and you still want me to do it, then I'll serve, right? Because it wasn't about, I was concerned about having to go somewhere and be back in a position. But God hadn't called me to a position. What an elder does, what a leader does in the church is wait on God so that he can find or she can find peace and unity as we bring others into maturity. They just try to model it the best that they can, making mistakes along the way, uh, making wrong decisions, which we oftentimes do, not agreeing, which oftentimes happens, but we find unity as we try to model peace and following God so that's kind of my story at least part of it and so what i want to do today is just read the passage of scripture from ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 and it says this so christ himself gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work thank you
1: let us pray our Father, and our God, we thank you for the privilege and honor to serve your people, your body, your church. Now, God, you are the potter. We are the clay. Mold us, shape us, make us, break us to what you need us to be for this experience. Holy Ghost, we give you full authority. Minister through our minds. Speak with our tongues. Love with our hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray, and all God's children say, "Amen."
2: Amen. Thanks, Jamon. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Paula, and the worship team. You know, I'm overwhelmed with how gifted this church is. So let's just hear it for the spirit that fills all these people up, and what an honor it is through all these uh, 12, years, 13 years to pastor with Corey Barnes. He is indeed my pastor, and when I say that, I mean that with all my heart. He's my pastor, even pastor this church. Well, our State of Grace series um, this year, we've preached grace anatomy, uh, grace uh, autonomy, grace audacity, but all of these titles remind me of how perfectly peculiar the church is and ought to be at any point uh, in the history of our world because God has chosen his people to kill Jesus. I'm sorry, my mic is cutting in and out. not sure why. Check the connection real quick. Um, But God has chosen his people to carry on the work of Jesus with divine authority. All of us share in that authority. So this week we finish our State of Grace series centered in the great text that Jermon just read of Ephesians 4, working from the title Grace Authority. Now listen, Grace City, church is not easy. And it is a disservice to any who think that it ought to be easy, that we just come and it's, it's just kind of like roll off our backs and, it, and, and we go off into our week. It's not easy. So let me, as I introduce, uh, we're going to share the pulpit this morning, which is always an honor for me, uh, although following Corey later on is never easy, let me tell you. But anyway, let me mix some metaphors for us this morning. Many would prefer church to, be, uh, to operate on the Goldilocks principle. You know what I mean? Um, Where things are kind of just right, in the middle. For a church, one might assume that you want to minimize the number of unhappy members, so you ought to play in the middle of all the different things that can divide us. And indeed, some come to Grace City or some leave Grace City or any church because we're too much of something or too little of something. Many people don't care at all, but some people care a lot. And But seeking the Goldilocks just right middle is is a trap for the church. While it might diminish criticism, it maximizes apathy. The middle becomes lukewarm, and Jesus warns us about this in Revelation about the church. The gospel cannot be subject to the Goldilocks principle. Think of it, and I told you I was going to mix metaphors, think of it like a ski slope instead. Even if you've never skied, and believe me, I am not a skier, but think of it like a ski slope. Ski slopes, Scott, are marked by difficulty. There's the green circle that denotes the easiest slope. There's the, that's the one that'll get you to the bottom the fastest, with the least amount of risk and the least amount of drama. So why would anyone choose to ski a different one? Well, there's a blue one in the middle, the intermediate. That's the middle. It seems like, well, that would be reasonable, right? That, that's some kind of mix of things. Why then would anyone choose to ski the difficult black diamond slope instead, right? But veteran skiers, grown-up skiers, mature skiers would ask the question quite differently. Why wouldn't you ski the Black Diamond? Because the point of skiing is not to get to the bottom. The point is the run you have along the way. I wonder why this idea is so hard for us to embrace in the church. Why do we see that our responsibilities and growth is more of a burden than an adventure that God has set before us? Of course, church, there will be moguls along the way. Speed bumps, if you will. If you don't know what a mogul is, I had to look it up too. But speed bumps, and they're unevenly distributed in the world. They are. And unforeseen troubles around every corner. But none of these are fixed when we decide to seek the easy way to the end. So let's look to the scripture for how God chose to build his church. Corey, come on up and tell us how God designed and built and equipped us to run the black diamond race known as the church, the body of Christ.
1: Interesting, because this idea of grace authority is very interesting to think about, because when you think about authority, it is the question of who gave you permission to make the decision. Let me say that again. I said authority is the permission to make that decision. That's the way we see it in the world. We've known the scripture as the scriptures is our authority. It is what we look, the grid that we look through to make the decisions that we make in the kingdom of God. You know, this idea of authority is not something that we made up in the church. It came very early. In Genesis 1, I told you in the first state of grace, in Genesis 1, it says, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion, authority over the earth. This was a God idea, this idea of authority. But in order for you to get the kingdom, and so our purpose in life and our purpose as the church, and I told you this before, is to bring God's kingdom here on earth. God's kingdom here on earth through the authority of his kingdom. And that is our job description. Listen, 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 church. You know, the first time the church uses the word church in the scriptures in the New Testament is Matthew chapter 16. And right there we see this idea of kingdom authority right there. There's a conversation that happens, and Jesus raises an interesting question. He says, who do people say that I am? And some people say, I think he's Elijah, and I think he's Jeremiah. I think he's one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns the question and says, who do you say that I am? And all of a sudden, brother Peter, Peter turns around and says, you are the son of God. It is in that moment that Jesus replies to Peter and says, blessed are you, Peter. He says, I tell you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build the church. The first time the word church is mentioned. And he says, he says, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. He says, whatever, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven right there the first mention of the church god instills kingdom authority on peter God gives Peter kingdom authority for the church to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. He gives Peter authority to build the church. And I have good news for you this morning. That same authority that's placed, bestowed upon Peter is placed on every blood washed redeemed Christian in this room. Hallelujah. So here's the question. Listen. Where you have influence is the place where you are to bring God's kingdom on earth, where it is in heaven. Yes, that's grace authority. We have the authority to bring heaven to earth. Stop complaining about the hell you see. You walk in there and bring God's heaven to the earth. (laughs) That's what your job description is. Rather I'm in Harlem Park or Rolling Park, I have authority to bring heaven to earth. Rather I'm in Federal Hill or Cherry Hill, I have authority to bring heaven to earth. Rather I am in Harbor East or over East. I have the authority to bring heaven to earth. Rather I am Upper Park Heights or Lower Park Heights. I have the authority to bring heaven to earth. Anybody in the room have some authority in here this morning? How does Peter get authority? He was able to look at Jesus and identify him as his Savior. Those of, to whom who have identified Christ as their Savior has the keys to the kingdom. The question this, to the church this morning, does your key work? <laughs> Can I ask you a question this morning? Is your key working this morning? Because when the keys work, the church is built up and not torn down. When the keys work, God's people is edified, and God is glorified. When the keys work, Jesus said, I I will be lifted up, and I will draw all men unto myself. When the keys work, church, he says, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my faith, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Church, you your key working this morning. It's your key working this morning. Paul is writing from prison telling the church at ephesus how to get the key working and he says this in verse one and lays it out he says how this key work he says you have to live a life that's worthy of that call he says you have to live a life That is worth, that call that Peter had. He said, you have to live a life that's worthy of that. What is worthy life? What is the word? The word he used here, a beautiful word, is the word axios. It is a word that where we get our English word axis. It means to scale. It means to live a life that is worthy, That live the life that's in balance to that thing that's on the other side. Y'all missed it. I said, it means to balance out what's on the other side. It, 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 okay, yeah, let me work it. It means that whatever this on the seesaw that's holding down, the thing on the other side has to balance it out. Oh, y'all still ain't got it. Okay, let me keep working. Oh, right, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. It means... That if Jesus was on the other side and now it is our job to get the scale aligned with Jesus so that we can live that life he's called us to live. Y'all got it yet? Okay. Do I hit it another way? Y'all okay? Okay. He means to align your life with that axis. Make it across what we see in front of us. In other words, the practical living should be aligned with our spiritual positioning. The worthy living is not what you do for God. It is a response of what God has done for you. Can I tell you if the key is working based on, it is based on how we respond to God. Notice that Paul is writing from prison and he's telling them to live a life worthy of his call. He's not comfortable place. He's not a perfect man. He's in a low position, but he's still calling them to live a life. That's good news because because you can be in a bad position but still live out the best version of yourself. Oh, you just missed that. In other words, your position doesn't dictate how you can live your life. That's good news because Paul is in prison. He's not perfect, but he's calling them and he's calling people to live the best version of our lives. Hey, this is the problem with us. Uh, This is where we get into trouble because in order for us to live the best version of our lives, the circumstance got to be right. We we, we want our our health got to be right. Our finances got to be straight. Our children got to be acting right. Our friends got to be good. Our marriage is intact. But Paul says, no, 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 no. When all that is failing, he says we can still live a life that's worthy to that call because of what's on the other side. It's not a predicated on, the, on the, or what's on, on your condition. It's predicated on Jesus Christ sitting on the throne. In other words, anybody can live a life based on the circumstances and physical, but we have to, our lives must live, we must live this life based on Jesus Christ. And so he says, the church is called, I call the church to be, to grow up, as Bob talked about, as Bob will talk about. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life of the calling you've received. Watch this, be completely humble, be patient with one another, love, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. He calls them to live Up to their calling, character, and the cause of Christ. Paul is looking at three things. There's a calling, there's a character, and there's the call of Christ. The calling is the gift of grace that you receive. The character described here is humility, gentleness, and bearing one another. And the cause in which Jamon talked about is our unity and the faith. Paul brings the call, the character together when he says these words in Philippians 2. He says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset in Christ, who being the very nature of God... Did not consider equality with God something to be used to its own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to a cross. We then say, then how? So there's four things that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about grace and how this grace works this morning. And so he brings these apostles, these preachers, into the fold. And he brings them into the church and he says, their job, and listen, don't get caught up in the positions, but I want you to get caught up in the work. I want you to understand that for, there, were, there were basically three responsibilities to form the foundation of the church, to advance the church, and to have care of their church. The apostle and the prophets laid the foundation. The evangelists advanced the church, and the pastors and the teachers took care of the church. All this is done in view of God's grace. And I don't know what part of this work you're called to, but all of us, no matter what title it is, you can find yourself in one of those three categories. Paul says we're called to do two things, and Bob will do with the other two things. And the first thing I'll say, we're called to equip the body. Somebody say equip the body. The word equip is a medical term to set a bone to make it complete equipping me set everything in place so that the body is complete how do we get everything in its proper place basically there's four things that paul lifts up in this equip equipping and i'm going to tell you it, it and we spiritualize it and we individualize it but it's not working like that he basically i want you to understand there are four things in how we're equipped number one here it is the scriptures. somebody say scriptures number two prayer Okay? Now I want you to get loud with these other two because you're gonna be quiet, but get what you get. Number three, are you ready? Uh, you ready? You sure? You you really sure? Okay. Um uh number three is uh, testing. Okay. And here come number four. You ready? This is how he equipped you. Suffering. <laughs> so he, he equips you for a way. See, we like to just read the scripture and pray. <laughs> uh, but Jesus had to do all four things. Jesus opened up the scripture in Isaiah 61 and said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me to anoint good tidings to the meek, to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus was prayed. He went up and he prayed. And Jesus also was tested. But we know our Jesus suffered. He went to that old rugged cross and he suffered. If we're going to be equipped, there are four things we have to do. And then the last thing I'm say to you, and I want to take my seat so that Bob can get over here and share, but not only do we are we equipped, but there's this beautiful, wonderful, difficult thing we must do is build up each other. And our building up is not an external building up, but it's an internal building up as we are equipped as a body. The work that we're called to give authority through grace is to equip, to set each person, and pa- and, the, and and place in the body where they are strengthened through the scriptures, through prayers, through teaching, through suffering, to build each other up, to be a body that's built for each other, so that Bob will tell us, not only are we equipped and built up, but also so we can be mature and grow.
2: Yeah. You know, the garbage scow went by while Corey was preaching. The helicopter flew over as he was ending. All of that is, is the green part of the, sl- of the ski slope. That's the easy part. Following Corey Barnes in the pulpit, that's the black diamond for me. Anybody else want to do that right now? That's not, a, that's not an easy task.
0: <laughs>
2: Grace City. The church is here to do what no other group on earth can possibly do. And as Corey ended in verse 12 in Ephesians 4... It's to equip his people so that the body of Christ might be built up. But to what end? That's the question that I want to tackle. To what end? To what purpose are we being equipped and built up? And Paul answers in verses 13 through 15, and I'll highlight his argument. You'll see it um, as you open your Bibles this morning. But here's what he says. Until we all become, are you ready? Mature no longer be infants, we will grow to become the mature body of Christ. So Grace City, a startling theme appears here. The paramount thing that that which God is after above everything else for you and me, for his church, is maturity. Somebody say maturity. Shout it out because it's what he wants, shout it. It's not evangelism but the maturity to be compelling ambassadors for the kingdom. It's not world peace, but the maturity to do justice while loving mercy. It's not even inner peace, as much as all of us would like that, but the maturity to embrace that our world is both beautiful and difficult, that there's testing and suffering along with prayer and scripture, and then to respond to that world just like Jesus to grow into his image. That's maturity. It's about us becoming what God had in mind when He made us in the first place. He made you to be a mature ambassador, fulfilling your and my creation design. And it's, it's not at all, and Corey alluded to this, it's not that he wants to produce talented church leaders or religious experts. It's bigger than that. It's, he's equipping us to become grown-up, responsible, adjusted, wholehearted human beings who comprehend and implement his kingdom agenda. And and listen, most of us have a mental image of ourselves that sort of approximate this goal, don't we? You look at yourself, and we tend to think of ourselves as, as mature, as grown up. But I want to tell you, both as a pastor and a psychotherapist, we're a little bit off target in how we think about maturity. We are. I am. Why? Because it's we tend to carry around the wrong measuring stick. We measure ourselves in the wrong way, according to Paul in Ephesians. We tend to hold on to the reference of the world, which teaches us to measure ourselves by one another. And we can always manipulate that measuring stick, right? It's always within our grasp to do that. And we err in in two very different directions, but they mirror each other, Marjorie. They're, They're sort of the same thing in opposite directions. Because when we compare ourselves to the world of others, the self-confident among us will say, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. And and we come out on top. And the self-loathing among us will say, well, everyone is better than me. Everyone has it better than me. And we come out on the bottom. Neither of these positions is correct because we're using the wrong measuring stick. Twice in our text, Paul defines the only authentic measure in the universe for maturity. Look at it. Look at it in verse 13. We become mature attaining, when we are attaining to the measure of the fullness of Christ. And then in verse 15, we will grow to become the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Jesus Christ is our measuring stick. Wow. It's about Jesus. Not, but, but think, don't think of it as Jesus the miracle worker or, or Jesus who, the incomparable teacher. It's Jesus Christ, the man, the son of God, the son of man, who sets the standard for godly maturity that God would have us grow into. He is the one whom God measures us by and the one whom we ourselves are to measure ourselves by. And I know what you're thinking, Grace City. At this point, you're thinking, well, if he's the standard, I give up. Amen? That's a hopeless cause, right? But I have good news for you also this morning. Just to go with your good news, Corey Barnes. The heart of the gospel is this. Everyone, every one of us gets to grow and change in Jesus Christ. Individuals and churches. And Paul says it takes the church. It takes the church to accomplish that in the body of Christ. So before you give up, Grace City, you need to grasp two related ideas from this text. Notice the process by which maturity comes. First, it's this. It is an all-out run. It is a difficult black diamond. It is a marathon, and it takes practice. growth It's growth over time, and it begins and ends with Jesus. Let me show it to you in verse 16. From him... From him the whole body grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work so Jesus is both the source and the goal of our growth over time he's the source and the goal and the second thing just like human development spiritual development spiritual growth is discernible in stages did you know that people have done lots of work in this so you're not you cannot say anymore you know have, have you ever talked to a little little uh, child who says I'm going to be all grown up tomorrow. And you can't say that about your spiritual growth any more than a child can say that about their human growth. We don't grow like that, church. But we can make sure, here's what we have control of in this. We can make sure that the factors and attitudes that promote growth are present in our lives and in our environment. And we can avoid the attitudes that stunt our growth. Look at verse 14, we'll go back to that. There we will no longer be infants. You see where he's going? Blown here and there by every wind of teaching and doctrine and the craftiness of people. What does Paul mean? Tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Well, remember, the scripture exhorts us to be childlike, not childish. Do you get the difference? Childlike is that approach to to God, to Jesus, that says, I'm all in. You got me, I got you, I'm in with you, like a child does with a parent. Childish is the opposite. The scripture exhorts us to be childlike, not childish, but church, it's our childish tendencies that get us in trouble in our growth. Grace City, there are fads and trends in religious life that stunt our growth. For instance, I find often that followers of Christ, me too, are continually promoting some thrilling new book or new video series that seems to have all the answers to all of our spiritual problems. Right? Jamon is just laughing over there. <laughs> but here's, here's where we err we, t- we forget to talk about the Bible that way. We kind of shove it to the side in the face of the new thing. And, church, what we're about to sing. That, that scripture is the living word. My voice just cracked on that one. It's the most complex, exciting, and in the end, it's the book that delivers growth for understanding and application. And it is complex, don't forget, and the mature follower of Christ will, will do what Corey preached here. It will, the, the mature follower of Christ always approaches the scriptures with humility from the whole range of human experience. And there are spiritual hobbies too, right, Jamon? There are are hobbies. Prophecy can become a trend. I see it ebb and flow through the church through all my years. Spiritual practices are often a convoluted, concocted system that promises something it can never deliver in the long term, and then some other whim or practice in Christian life replaces it, and we're on to that. We make a huge deal of these in their season, and we shift from one thing to another, and we switch churches over it, and we switch uh, uh, fealty over it, we switch small groups over it, we shift around constantly changing. And Paul says that's the mark of childishness. Don't get blown to and fro. You see it in service as well. We preached about service last week. We take on a task in the church or in the community in service, and we assume it and take it on with enthusiasm, but then interest wanes and Times get tough and other options in our life appear and we get all crazed about that. And before you know it, we don't show up for what we committed to. And Paul says that's the mark of childishness. Paul does say faithfulness, dependability, responsibility are the mark of maturity, the marks of maturity in all of us. And our growth will flourish under those marks. Okay, let me unpack one more idea before I bring Corey up to close this. In verse 16, take a look. And Corey, this takes us back to to your opening. Paul says this, From the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the apostle Paul invents a compound word. I love Paul inventing words. I love to invent words. I did that a a couple of weeks ago in here. But Paul invents a compound word here, which we only see one other time when he writes it in Ephesians chapter 2. He takes a word that means a joint, that is, two things that are put together. He adds the word with, and we translate, uh, um, that puts two things, Has the word with, and we translate it joined and held together. One word with four words of our own, joined and held together. With these, he then links a third word regarding God's choosing. So here we have God's choice Corey, for the ongoing authority of the church. He puts you and me, he puts you sitting there right now, he puts you and me in the very place he wants you to be. Among the cohort he wants you to be with. Because you need them, and they need you, and I need you, and you need me, and you need Corey. It's no mistake, church, that you're in this community. If you're new here because you've come to school here in Baltimore, it's no mistake that you're here. We need each other to accomplish this work of reconciliation. What does his work look like? This is the last thing. Listen, our happiness, church, our peace is all mixed up with each other's happiness. Our peace is all mixed up with each other's peace. We're in this together. But our own happiness, our own peace can never be complete until we find some way of sharing it with people who, because of the way things are now in their lives, who have little happiness and no peace. This is the work he has set before the church and each one of us. Starting next week, we're going to uh, begin a series called One Another, which is going to be seven weeks on that second part of our mission statement, reconciling uh, among one another. And we're going to take the statements of one another and unpack them because this is where God has led us in his gospel peace. It's not easy, Grace City. I think of this combination often. Life is so beautiful and life is so hard. Can you take those both on? Holding both is a spiritual mark of maturity. In the midst of that duality, we ask, What does God want from us, Corey? Come on up. And here it is He wants us to grow up in Christ toward divine maturity that changes us and sustains us for kingdom purpose. And I am so glad to be growing up with all of you. I'd I'd be no other place. Thank you, Grace City. Come on up.
1: As the worship team comes, it's just simple. Paul lifts up four words that I think is so critical to our message. He calls us to equip, to build up, to mature, and to grow. That's our call, Great City. That's why we do church. But here's the complicated. It's so complicated in the Greek. I'm so glad uh, Bob translated it for you. that it's this idea of this joint that really doesn't fit together, coming together, fitting together, only the way it can fit together, only how God can put it together so that we can all be and move this work forward. It's so weird, and here it is. Let me put it to you in another way. We would have never met each other or ran across each other's lives had it not been for the Spirit of God. There's no way in the world I would have met Scott McLean, Alan, Judy. How experiences didn't cross. Only the Spirit of God could draw us together. And and here it is. If God could bring such a diverse group of people together, how big is the work he's calling this church to do? Wow. Wow. The reality is we can reach places that other churches won't be able to because of what God has put together. Are we ready to go? Because I am. I'm ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the word today. Thank you for my brother, for our lives being raised in Royal Pennsylvania to West Baltimore, bringing us together, bringing lives together born in different periods of our history, and you brought us together for this purpose, to move your kingdom here forward on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you for choosing us as we prepare to go to your communion table, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.